we had these lilies in a vase and as I saw these bad boys like coming out across the room at me yeah. I thought well fuck me you know it's <laughs> it's on here and then uh, I'm I walk into the kitchen and I was struggling to settle down mm-hmm. but I walked into the kitchen um, and the kitchen cupboards reconfigured around me and I'm watching me mm-hmm. and then I thought you you're you, you're completely gone yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. you've got no choice at which point you're here now that yeah. was it uh, and I kind of uh, conceded that um, you know it was time to hand over uh, and then had what I can only describe as the biggest meltdown uh, mm-hmm. lots of tears for an extended period um, and uh, it was uh, this is maybe a strange phrase but it felt like tears from years ago yeah so a I know huge exactly huge release yeah. uh, and it was uber intense Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off, and when they didn't. And on this episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Rachel Murphy. Rachel is the CEO and founder of The Grafter. She's a multi-exited entrepreneur and also non-exec for multiple companies too. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Brill, thanks. Delighted to be here. So I'm so excited to speak to you because we've had just an amazing conversation for the last half an hour before we started recording about lots of different things. Um, And there's so many things that I do want to discuss with you, but tell us a little bit about your journey as an extra exit entrepreneur, your approach to growth, because I know that's something which you're an absolute leader on would be good to get a bit of the background there. Yeah, of course. So my, I guess my, my journey into uh, building companies started in, in my early twenties. I mean, I, I knew uh, first of all, I'm I'm not great with authority. Uh, I think that's probably the best uh, the best opener. Um, and I kind of knew I wanted to forge my own way. Um, I didn't go to uni, you know, because I knew I'd get pissed and never get a degree. So I kind of thought to myself, you know, it was consultancy that I fancied building, but I didn't really have that experience. So the first probably three or four years, uh, I worked for Big Five Consultancy mm-hmm. just as an interim, picked up the skills pretty rapidly and then built out my first I mean, consultancy is probably doing it a bit more justice than it was. Recruitment company, really. Um, And we were uh, supplying teams of people to implement a web-based piece of social care software around the UK. Mm -hmm. So ran that one for a couple of years. um, uh, and, And then, you know, then went back and thought, I want to go and do more turnaround and transformation work and really earn my stripes a bit more. Uh, so worked across public and private sector, uh, you know, had some big gigs, um, you know, led the services business for Kia, the construction company, mm-hmm. uh, then ended up in in kind of central government, was CIO for Department for Education in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, and then led the patient-facing transformation of the NHS for a couple of years. So big, big roles. Wow. But at the end of that gig, I kind of thought to myself, lots of the suppliers, it's all a bit samey. Um, and I, at that time, would have been late 30s. And I thought, now's the time. You know, you've got 20 years more experience. I kind of hoped I was a bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Um and, and went and built uh, Different. So Different was the second company that I'd built. Um, and, 
yeah, it was it was fucking brilliant. Uh, just loved it right from the off. Uh, so we we were uh, designing and building services across uh, government and healthcare, mm-hmm. um, and I knew going into that business that it was um, in and out over a five year period. So I had something to prove. I wanted to build, scale, and exit during that period. Amazing. And I just want to go back to working for um, was it de- which department of government was it? Uh, for Department for Education. Department for Education. Yep. So how did working with government match up with the uh, problems with authority? And, and was, was, there, was there any tension there? How did you feel during that time? So um, that's a great question. And I guess for me, I'm a little masochistic. So <laughs> I like putting me All in... All founders are, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I like putting me in the trickiest place imaginable. Uh, so there's nothing about my personality that should ever have been sitting on the board of a government department. Right. Um, and that, I thought, was... Um, I, well, I think I was expecting like absolute miracles, Roy, if I'm honest. I thought, it's the first board I'm going to sit on. I'm going to see amazing things. I was sorely disappointed. Uh, mm. And um, but, but what it did for me, really, was it gave me... Um, it gave me exposure to running a huge team with a massive budget um, and the scale of the role uh, Mm -hmm. kind of blew my mind. Uh, But in way of me towing the line, that was a recurring challenge. Um, And I was pretty clear right from the outset that, you know, I could get um, the transformation of the department done, Mm -hmm. but I would need top cover. So, you know, my boss's job would be apologising for me executing and that was his new gig so if he was up for that i was i was game Uh, amazing so it was it was an interesting experience probably the toughest role i've ever done right and is that because you had to operate within those confines and restraints or or, or i think it was bureaucracy or i think it was combination of both Mm. um it's proper old school as well um and and every every aspect of it was i found very tricky to manage um i mean i swore i would never do another public sector role after that obviously found myself in one about half an hour later but um got short memories uh in way of these things and i'm heavily driven to uh to make a difference as well and Mm -hmm. i think that's why you know the public sector appealed makes a lot of sense and tell us about selling different and that experience so selling different um Oh God, the sale process was was challenging. So mm. if I set the scene, um, we were doing 50, probably 70% of our number in healthcare, 30% in central government. It was 2020, so we're right in the heart of the pandemic. Um, we are building the home testing service for COVID-19 for the UK as a business. Um, I was personally shielding because I'm chronically asthmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going through the process of selling the company. It was fucking wow. crazy. Um, and um, it it all kind of kicked off with um, the Christmas before the pandemic started, so 2019, back end of, um, I had the first approach about selling the business. Um, and my gut feel was not the right company. Um, and then kind of fast forward sort of March time of 2020, um, probably 
bit further, May, May, June time. So into lockdown at this yeah, point. Well yeah, well into lockdown. Um, and I'm properly locked down, so I'm isolating. Um, I mean, I didn't go near a supermarket for like 12 weeks, wow. which was a result, actually, because I can't stand that sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, um, it, it was an intense period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, once we had interest from one potential buyer... Um, it was then kind of imperative, really. We got two or three others in the mix. So we went through that process and, um, yeah, I found I found the whole uh, experience um, uh, particularly hard going because mm-hmm. as the founder of the business, um, I was writing a lot of the number for different. So a lot of the new business sat with me. So, of course, you take your eye off that yes. to you know, look at the due diligence and other bits and pieces, it has a direct impact on, on the, uh, you know, on the growth of the business during that period. Uh, So that was, uh, that was interesting. Um, I had an amazing lawyer who sat along, you know, side as part of the process. Um, But, but it was, I found it emotionally very tough, if Mm. I'm honest, Um, not the negotiation, but, you know, getting my head and my heart in the right place around selling something that was, you know, like my baby. Mm. I mean, I cared deeply about the people that work for the business, you know, matching the culture of a potential buyer to the business that I built was was really important to me. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was hardcore. Uh, it was a great experience. Again, there's a theme emerging here, but I swore I'd never do it again. And now I've just built a bloody business that is helping founders to exit. So yeah. obviously, uh, obviously, I enjoyed it more than I thought I did. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's a really interesting point because uh, for me, when I sold my first company, uh, Real Sport, back in 2018, um, that due diligence process, distraction, yes, exactly in the way that you described, but also a fucking roller coaster. I mean, when you're going through um, disclosure letters, when you're creating indemnities and, and you know, warrants that are on yourself as founders and directors, and you're having to, you know, tie your name to things that you haven't necessarily been so involved with, because as a scaling, you know, technology company, right, you're signing off things, you're disclosing things that actually you may have had no prior knowledge yeah. of. And it's a, it, it was one of the most challenging um, periods of my life from like a mental health perspective, selling the company, yep. because it's, Especially at that time, I had, um, you know, I was in debt personally uh, in a big way. I had credit, you know, credit card debt, payday loans, all these things because we weren't paying ourselves. We didn't think we should, you know, I was young, didn't really know what I was doing. And the swing of like, well, I could be a, you know, self-made millionaire at 26 or be lumped with all this debt still. Um, yeah, so I think it's amazing that you're helping founders through that process. And um, how much of it is a mental game? Uh, a lot of it is a mental, 200%, I mm. would say, because the reality is once you're into that process, I think it's like buying a house, you know, and you go around a house and you fall in love with it. You've got to be really careful because at that point you're giving the game away mm. um, that, you know, you're up for it. And, and you know, when you're going through the sale of a business, it's the same, you know. So for, for me, I know with me, if I'm on a path, I will sometimes find it hard to say, is this actually the right path? Because I'm, you know, like digging in and I, I want to make it happen. Mm. I mean, it wasn't straightforward, that process at all. There was a few, you know, roller coasters, a great example. You know, we had kickoffs with a potential buyer. Yeah. You know, all of those bits that, you know, you could say, were they, you know, sort of a bit of alarm bells for the future? But the reality is it was a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um 
Uh, if I had my time again, I would do the same deal with the same company. Great. Um, I found the exit, um, you know, working through that exit period, um, I found that really hard going. As in like post-transaction? Yeah, post-transaction, yeah. because the reality is you do then have a boss again. Yes. They're calling the shots. Whatever yes. they tell you you're going to be doing, or the strategy is, obviously that, you know, nor- normally changes half an hour later. Yeah. Uh, and and I struggled a lot. And I, I, I don't want to be part of a thousand-person company. Yes. Um, I want, you know, I, I like building something from nothing. I like making things happen. Um, but I, you know, that, that kind of, you know, much larger entity... Not, not for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I found that really... And I would have been a pain in the ass to manage. Mm. So this wasn't one-sided, you know, poor me. I'd mm. have been a right handful. Yeah, it's, honestly, it's so interesting to hear you say that and reflects so much of my own journey with that. We went from, you know, startup to being acquired by a publicly listed company. Um, yes, same. You know, right, yep. and then looking at the joys of on, and pains of quarterly results rather than building for the long term and the strategy that you thought you were going to get involved with and what the integration was going to look like was not necessarily what it looked like. So I had a, a year lock-in period. Um, we we sold the company March 13th, 2018. Um, both me and my co-founder at the time handed in our notices March 14th, Did 2019. Yeah, yeah. So I had an 18-month. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the morning of the 18-month, uh, I said, that's it, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reality is, you know, you kind of know yourself. Um, and, and I knew, you know, I, if I make a commitment, I'm honouring that commitment. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I, I wanted to be out. Um, and, and, you know, my instinct when I first got out was, you know, go, go, go again. And it's like, you can't because mm-hmm. I was absolutely fucked. Yes. Uh, you know, I really needed some serious downtime. Yeah. Uh, and I needed to decompress and yes. I needed to understand what I'd been through mm. uh, and kind of recognize that mm-hmm. I would say uh, I would say my mental health at the end of that period uh, was was worse than it was going through it interesting yeah so for me that was when I then you know I I kind of thought right take well what I initially thought was take Six months out completely and don't work. Mm-hmm. I think that managed to be about three, um, but but that's a long period for a me type. Yeah, you know yeah, I yeah. need work because it's structure. Without structure, you know I feared I might get locked up. Uh, so I was kind of nervous, thinking, do you know what I mean? What's going to happen? I've mm. got to deal with this brain all day, every mm-hmm. day, and it's it's lively. So uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Literally same thing. And we were talking about this on on a podcast yesterday. Um, we had a really successful entrepreneur on a guy called Ben White sold his company for uh, I think it was over 600 mil like you know amazing and same exact same situation not knowing what to do when the music stops in that sense Ter- terrifying terrifying right absolutely is and, I, and and you know he's been in recovery and and what's your uh, view on the um correlation between entrepreneurialism exiting, recovery, addiction, all of these things seem to just time and time again go hand in hand. It's a great question, that. Um, so I'm nine and a half years sober, and, um, you know, the reality is I needed some help, and I asked for it, uh, and I'm, uh, I, you know, will forever be kind of grateful that I got that help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to a mate in recovery over dinner on Monday evening, and I wouldn't change any of it because mm. I now know 
you know, it is a superpower. It's the same, I'm ADHD. Yeah. It's the same as that. If you can channel it, and, and it's very hard to channel it when you're five or six. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, you're just classified as the naughty one. Mm-hmm. Um, but at 45, I can channel it. Not all the time. And sometimes I still think, fuck it. Do you know what I mean? I'm doing it. Um, but but, it, but it is human. a conscious decision at yeah. 45. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, um, I think the the drive, um, my drive is absolutely relentless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I put that down to a heavily addictive uh, mm-hmm. personality. Um, but I think it comes from a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these days, you know, my addictions would be, you know, going to the gym, training, yep. uh, working way too much um, yep. and some impulsive spending uh, happens mm-hmm. quite regularly. Um, but, you know, you compare that to my 20s, mm-hmm. uh, those addictions were, you know, remarkably different. So I think there's a huge correlation. And yeah. the work that I'm doing with some founders at the minute with a grafter um, is fascinating mm. because um, addiction comes up time and time again. Um, not necessarily as far down the road as needing to move into a 12-step place, but sure. it does. But one of the key services that we're launching at the beginning of September is something called the Founder's Journey, mm. um, which this will sound like totally fucking hippie, but it is all about acceptance. It's mm-hmm. about understanding yourself. It's about being able to self-regulate mm-hmm. because if we do work and transform people's businesses from a you know, a grow and scale perspective, but we don't help transform the founder, then here's the news. They're going to look around. They're not even going to identify that business. Yes. And not everybody is up for that journey. You know, that that's a different challenge. Um, but for me, I think that's fundamentally missing from anybody's offer working with, with founders. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I think that's incredible work because genuinely... Um, especially with you know tech scale-ups they are so founder-led that a founder not being able to manage that mental health challenge the founder not being able to um adapt and understand their place in an organization which looks nothing like the one they maybe wanted to build um you know is going to heavily dictate the successful outcomes there yeah um so i think that that's uh that's that's really really interesting work uh, so with the companies that you're working with do they tend to be uh, more traditional businesses, services companies. Yeah, they're all at the minute almost wholesale. They are services companies, mm-hmm. and there's there's reasons behind that. My experience is deeply in the services side, um, and you know I have experience in product, mm-hmm. but I don't love it in the same way. For for me, product is sunk cash for a long period of time before a return. And I'm yet to see too many businesses that achieve this nirvana of the bloody 75% profit Mm -hmm. uh, from a product company. So I'm deeply sceptical of that. What I know for services is you can be shifting revenue from day one. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, your service is shite and Mm -hmm. you better have a rethink. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Um, I'm very comfortable with services businesses, be it, you know, design agencies, PR agencies, recruitment agencies, uh, and businesses like like different where we were doing design and build, uh, development. Um, we're doing some with financial services, uh, data. Um, but the reality is, um, you know, lots of businesses are not just services or mm-hmm. product. 
plenty ahead and into that platform play. So Absolutely, yeah. we, we, we will, by definition, I will need to get with the programme mm. uh, in short order and uh, have a look at both sides. But in order, I think, to um, land and make an impact quickly, I want to play absolutely to my strengths mm-hmm. until we start to hire more people in. Yeah, it makes total sense. And if you had advice for um, a founder setting up a business right now uh, with a view to exit, because I actually found it interesting that you said with different you know, exiting was never actually part of the plan uh, initially. Oh, no, with different, it was part of the plan. Sorry, okay. Yeah. With different, it was part of the plan. Yeah. Fine, fine, fine. Um, because for most founders, you know, that is the the, the goal, right? They want to build something in order to, to sell it. What is the uh, key piece of advice or some key pieces of advice you'd give to a founder who's just starting out now, maybe very early, just starting to achieve sales? What do you need to be thinking about now when it comes to exiting your business? Uh, that's a great question and I think it's some of the more boring stuff um, mm-hmm. unfortunately um, but it's some of the making sure documentation contracts uh, pipeline weighted pipeline you know clear business strategy mm-hmm. where are you going what are you doing that stuff is documented yeah. in some shape way or form and I'm you're talking to an anti-documenter here uh, so uh, it, it's not about being slavishly Mm-hmm. in that way but at some point you're going to have to tidy house and it's mm-hmm. a lot easier if you've got a you know a breadcrumb path of where you've come from and what you've been up to yeah so i think the documentation is is clear but you know i talked to so many founders who are not really clear mm. on what the um what the purpose, what the you know the mission, what uh, what the kind of values of the of the organisation are, um, and if you can't articulate that, then you know you you can have a real problem selling those services yes. and ultimately selling that business. Now you know businesses pivot and change. You know when I first built out different. The reality is in the first 12 months, we did work that I knew wasn't going to be our core work because we had to bankroll some of the Mm. activity. Um, But we were always going to be user-centered design and build. Mm. Um, You know, we we just did some bits and pieces that were different. So I think being able to articulate that story is Mm. is absolutely key. Um, And... um, and, and, you know, asking yourself some of those fundamental questions. You know, what is it? You know, what are you doing it for in the first place? Mm. And uh, lots of us are scared of those questions. Yes. You know, without going off on a mad therapy session here. No, let's uh, do it. Plen- <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of us are pretty terrified yeah. of, uh, of you know, of, of answering it. When, when I first had a business mentor going back, I don't know, probably 15 years now, um, and uh, he's a very su- he very successful. Uh, sold a couple of businesses. Uh, sold the latest one, I think, to KPMG. Mm. But when he said to me, "Rach, what is it that you really want?" Mm. I thought. I am never coming back for another discussion with this bloke. Like it absolutely fucking terrified me, and yeah. it took me a good couple of years to really be able to answer that question. Yes, uh, and you know, in my opinion, we need to keep asking ourselves those sort of questions. I totally agree, and it's a, a really, really interesting one because I think it's uh, something I, I so identify with as well, which is you know you have an entrepreneurial spirit, so therefore you feel like you want to build something, but why? Why are you doing yeah. that? How much of it is because of, you know, things that you're trying to uh, make up for in other parts of your life? How yeah. much is it because you want identity? You, want, you know, whatever it might be, it's a really, really interesting one. And I think um, uh, one of the things I want to discuss, because we mentioned outside, is potentially the role of um, psychedelics uh, and let's call it, you know, plant medicine within the role of understanding 
you know, where we are within ourselves, understanding what we want and reconnecting with our values in that way. Um, because I think where I see a lot of entrepreneurs get in trouble psychologically is when they start disconnecting from mind, body, soul. Yeah. And it becomes about the business and everything becomes about that. And you almost, your identity becomes the business and therefore you have this identity crisis, right? Yeah, so there's yeah, a lot that. there, but, you know, talk to me. So um, so a couple of bits in that. Um, I, When I first sold different, I knew that it was. My identity was heavily linked as mm -hmm. much as I had been trying to. You know, I'd gone through the grieving process of accepting I was selling the business. Um, I That was my biggest problem in the first three months. I was thinking, I don't know who the fuck I am mm. uh, without it. And I don't know how to operate without a diary that has 10 hours of meetings a day because that spare time, I might actually have to look at me, at mm -hmm. which point I thought, oof, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So um, what I did after I sold different um, was I spent a lot of time um, in the research around psychedelics. Um, I met uh, an incredible um, guy uh, called Jonathan De Potter, who runs something called Behold Retreats mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years back. Um and he was running like the ultimate program for the top 1% of entrepreneurs. Now, you know, you could argue that's great marketing and it appealed to the ego. I'm sure it mm -hmm. did and does. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I go on this program. It's supposed to be six weeks. Um, but I know with me, I get so consumed by something. I can either rip through it fast as and not really take it in mm -hmm. or I go at it really slowly and I don't want to. I don't want to get through it. Yes. Uh, and so I found the latter happened with this program. So Can six, you tell us about the program? What yeah, so the program, it's, it's about understanding yourself. It is about... Um, it's really about getting back to basics um, and, you know, why are we all here in the first place um, and, you know, what is the meaning of life? It mm -hmm. does sound like, you know, fucking midlife crisis territory. No, um, but I think this is something which every entrepreneur will have to yep. face. Um, and uh, it was a lot about um, who you are, you know, how you're triggered, uh, self-regulation, all of that, but in a very, very detailed, uh, detailed and structured way. Um, and so I'm going through this program and I'm thinking... What I was thinking was, I don't know whether I can take plant medicine. So I'm nine and a half years sober, mm -hmm. and I I am terrified mm -hmm. of it breaching my sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, so I sat with that for twelve months. I didn't make a fast decision at all. Um, and you know, the thought process during that time was, if I've got to take anything, I'd rather take some ecstasy. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, that is not coming from a great place. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, we have to work that one through. Uh, but um, in the end, I decided to take some plant medicine. Um, and did you start was it psilocybin ayahuasca psilocybin mm -hmm. um, but the so as part of this program I'd paid behold retreats to go on to a retreat I then meet somebody in a work context who I think I want him to take me through plant medicine mm -hmm. so we hadn't met in that context mm -hmm. at all um, but there was you know when you just meet somebody of course I feel like um, within this community people do happen to yeah. spot each other find each other out and yeah definitely yeah 
So I met this chap, Cameron, and um, we met in a very different setting and we're talk, talk, talk. And I thought, this is the guy who I want to take me through mm-hmm. plant medicine. So it was psilocybin. Um, I'd researched everything to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, and I went through a journey of talking to loads of CEOs of um, psychedelic companies, mm-hmm. um, of funds um, all over the shop. So yeah. I've spoken to bloody loads of them. Mm-hmm. People who are running retreats, Costa Rica, Thailand, you name it. I've had plenty of convos. Um, And then I went out to Ireland um, and with a friend of mine and we went and we did the psilocybin. And the whole concept of this is not you're at a festival and you're dropping some drugs (laughs) and you're having a big one. Um, It is plant medicine. It's distinctly different. Mm -hmm. And it's an inward journey. Absolutely. So you are meeting yourself. Mm -hmm. And which for plenty of us is fucking terrifying. Um, Of course. It's one of the most challenging experiences you can go through, but ultimately one of the most necessary. Yeah. And one of the most powerful um, and I've had probably 20 years of psychotherapy. I'm not afraid to, to share that at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I've got a reasonable understanding of me these days. Um, however, um, I would still say, you know, when Cameron says to me, you're going to be laying on this like carpet thing. Um, I think I called it a prayer mat, but I'm sure it wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to be chilling out on this. Uh, you know, I mask on, you're going inward for four or five hours, you won't move. Mm-hmm. I looked at all that set up and thought, not a fucking chance. No way in hell. Um, so we take this uh, psilocybin. My mate hasn't moved. She's Can I ask what sort of doses you, you were taking? Do you know? Yeah, so we were taking a middle-of-the-road dose. Fine. Uh, okay. We were not trying to... You weren't going heroic. So far from heroic, it's yeah. unbelievable. Okay. My last experience with hallucinogenics would have been 20 years before taking some LSD right. on a night out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, if, you know, and I I've, I've have a, a, an interesting history with, uh, with substances, but... You know, psychedelics, um, hallucinogenics, not my thing at all. Mm. You know, that would be the last thing I would choose to mm-hmm. do. Um, and um, so we take take this uh, take this stuff, and um, it uh, I I really fought it, which was the polar opposite of what I wanted to do. Interesting. I was completely, you know, prepared. We everything was set up right. Yeah. We're in a cottage in Ireland. Yeah. You know, everything's chill apart from me. Mm. Um, and, you know, we'd done some um, meditation beforehand. Mm-hmm. We journaled. We got the intentions right. Mm-hmm. You know, you name it. It was it was right. But, but I... Um, Couldn't surrender. I couldn't. And the funny thing is, Roy, that my drinking was all about surrender. So I handed over like nobody's business. Um, You know, I didn't want any responsibility. Mm. But in the last nine and a half years of being sober, of course, I've learned a different way of operating. And that instinct kicked in, which wasn't that handy during that No, I mean, that can make a very challenging experience much more challenging. Yeah, it was very challenging. So the first, probably the first hour or so... um, yeah, I found it really hard work, May- mm. maybe longer. But, you know, we had these lilies in a vase. And as I saw these bad boys, like, coming out across the room at me, yeah. I thought, well, fuck me, you know, it's <laughs> it's on here. <laughs> and then uh, I'm, I walk into the kitchen, and I was struggling to settle down. Mm-hmm. But I walked into the kitchen, um, and the kitchen cupboards reconfigured around me, and I'm watching me. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you, you're... You, you're completely gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah So yeah. you've got no choice, at which point... You're here now. That yeah. was it. Uh, and I kind of uh, conceded that, um, you know, it was time to hand over. Uh, and then had what I can only describe as the biggest meltdown. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of tears for an extended period. Um, and 
it was, uh, this is maybe a strange phrase, but it felt like tears from years ago. Yeah, so a I know huge, exactly what you mean. So a huge, huge release. Yeah. Uh, and it was uber intense. Um, and, um, yeah, the chap who looked after us was, you know, he was amazing. Um, and the, but, but I guess the, the thing for me wasn't so much that night, which mm. will sound even more strange, Um I said to Cameron before I did it, um, well, what I actually said is, if I come back a vegan, I'm going to be kicking off, mate, um, <laughs> because I might as well be honest about that. Um, and uh, I kind of, uh, I, I then proceeded eight or nine months of not eating meat mm-hmm. at all, which mm-hmm. I found really strange. Yep. Talking to somebody who, you know, would happily be down gauchos on a regular. Mm-hmm. So I found that quite strange, but it wasn't a conscious. It was just, it didn't appeal. Yeah. You're at a restaurant, didn't appeal. Um, and the emotion for the first few weeks mm-hmm. was unlike anything I could ever describe. Um, and I know close friends were a bit kind of concerned. They mm-hmm. were like, what the hell? You know, mm-hmm. is, 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 you know, is she okay? So I found it very intense, but I have to say, I think it is one of, the most incredible experiences of mm. my entire life. Also one of the most terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've thought long and hard about whether, you know, I fancy doing it again, but I don't think plant medicine works like that. Mm-hmm. When it's time, it will call to you. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And not, not until. Your brain doesn't tell you you're up for it. Yeah, yeah. It tells you it's kind of coming for you. Yeah. And this is the thing. And I think it's such an important point to make here, which is why, you know, th- people do see this as plant medicine is this is not something which you wouldn't do that every week you wouldn't want to do that every week not you a know? Bit of it. so so I had my first um experience of psilocybin when I was ju- I just turned 17 and you know I was not prepared at all in terms of coming into that and not knowing really much I was 17 thought it was Billy wow. Big Bollocks in Amsterdam right uh, of course you know standard um, yeah exactly and took um probably three and a half grams Jesus. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Which was That's a r- terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when I thought I was going to see some nice colours and that was going to be what my experience was. And it was a really, really and, you know, I had a, um, many difficult moments in childhood and everything else. And there were so many things that were um, so buried down at a subconscious and unconscious level. And it's really interesting when you look at the neurological impacts of psilocybin. Yep. I mean, what's happening is your conscious mind is making connections with your sub and an unconscious mind. So you're able to open things up which are causing you trauma, causing you issues which you don't even necessarily know were there, you know, because they're so buried very so far down. And I did not have a, another psychedelic or psilocybin experience for... Um, 12 years after that yeah i can understand that right because it's you know it's not something you would do regularly um however what what i'm what i'm finding now and i think now as people are educating themselves a bit more about uh the potential of usage for this with treating ptsd depression etc i mean it's amazing and some of the um uh the research that's coming out of this now um you know, a lot of people are, are calling this uh, a panacea you know yep. um and it's, it's amazing to see the outcomes it can have I think the interesting bit there, um, and I've I've looked at lots of the evidence, um, you know, 10 years, well, 15 years working in healthcare mm-hmm. um, and not a clinician, but um, I've looked at lots and lots of that, especially around addiction as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the bit for me is uh, providing um, 
we put that in conjunction with, you can call it integration or you can call it therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the area that makes me nervous are some of the places that are, you know, selling a dose. Mm. I mean, I'm not quite talking buying it off Insta, yeah. but, you know, selling a dose and, you know, um, call as if there's a problem. You know, that stuff makes me very nervous. Totally. Because totally. I think, you know. It's got to be treated with real respect and care. A- absolutely. And these are, you know, these are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I guess that that was the, you know, that sits at the heart of why I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's to say, what's your biggest fear? You know, losing my mind is my biggest fear. Sure. So I'm, I was thinking, God, I don't need to be getting trapped in there. Yes. Uh, which would actually be my worst nightmare. Uh, yeah, for so, all of uh, us, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, but, uh, no, I think there's... Um, I, I deeply believe that there is something incredibly powerful mm. um, that uh, that we will start to uh, benefit from from the use of. Yeah, I think so, and it's um, it's great to see the amount of um, you know new businesses in the space. And there's I can't I think Conscious Ventures in the UK is one of the yep. um, uh, one of the big investors in, in psychedelics here. But it but it has been really exciting to see um, you know the way that people are now. Uh, taking something which ultimately has been con- consumed by humans for thousands and thousands of years and probably has a big role in helping evolve consciousness uh, in a really, really positive way. Um, so I think it's a really exciting um, uh, really exciting area to look at. So there are five questions that I ask every single guest that I would love to I run through I wish I was you. prepared for these, but no far away. No worries at all. And they're not quick fire <laughs> or anything. We'll, yep. we'll just talk through them. So the first question I have for you is, what is the single biggest risk you've ever taken? And what was the outcome? I think the single biggest risk for me was around public speaking. So I was petrified. If you'd spoken to me 10 years ago and said, Rach, you're going to rock up on a stage, I'd rather have thrown myself through a closed window. <laughs> um, so I think that was probably, um, from a from a personal perspective, um, I'd say that's probably the biggest risk because, you know, there's obviously something deep in me that was just not up for it on mm. any level, but I knew it was holding me back in my career. So, I, and I also, I guess, um, I believed if I could overcome it, that I'd love it. And yeah. and this goes back to the masochistic bit. I don't just want to be good at it. I want to be fucking brilliant at it. And so the amount of pressure that I put on. So I would say... And I, I know the first event I did, and I can still like feel it in my stomach. Uh, but uh, I did a CIO event mm-hmm. um, at a hotel near to Embankment. Um, I can't remember the name of it. And uh, there was three about 300 CIOs in the room, predominantly boys. They often are. And the one thing I'm saying to myself as I'm walking to the stage is, don't make an inappropriate gag about the fact it's a heavily male audience. <laughs> so, of course, I get on the stage and I'm like, it's like a sausage factory out there. Anyway, they all found it quite funny. Great. So, at <laughs> which point I was away. But uh, I would say that's probably the biggest risk. There's a lot of things that jump into my head. Sure. You know, uh, when you when you ask that question. Um, but I think, I think that's probably it for me. Yeah, no, I, I can... Uh, if you're not happy or feeling happy about public speaking, it's like the scariest it's thing terrifying. you can do. W- was there anything that you did specifically to prepare for that or was it just... I just forced me to do it. Um, and it wasn't gentle, probably mm-hmm. wasn't the right approach, uh, but it would have been the only way that I would have got me to do it. And that, that what lasted for a long period of time. That wasn't a five minutes. 
that was years of mm. you will fucking do it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was harsh. And then did you find, because so I used to do stand up. Uh, so oh, really? Yeah, so wow, I've always fancied doing that. It's, it's amazing. It, it, and also, we talk about ego death. I mean, you want to be... So I was 26. I just sold my company. You know, probably thought a bit too much of myself and that everything I, you know, touched yeah, would have... turned to gold. 100%. Yeah. Try doing stand-up, right? Try bombing in front of 100 people. <laughs> you will remember very quickly that you are nothing, you know? It's and, funny, because yeah. I did some after-dinner speaking, and I dislike that immensely. It's not my time, so I'm, like, I'm best in the morning. Someone mm -hmm. wants a bit of after-dinner speaking at 8 a.m., I'm your girl. <laughs> Someone wants 10 p.m., I'd rather be in bed. Uh, and everyone's also wankered, and I'm like, yeah. no, this is, this is not for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then did you find that once you did that first public speaking, because obviously now I know you do a lot of it, uh, was it something that was like, actually, this is just a great feeling or actually it was just more, you know, I'm not scared of this, so I can do it. Or did you find like a real inclination for it after? It, it, no, it didn't happen overnight. Okay. So I thought, thank fuck, I've got through it. I haven't actually had a heart attack and died. Yeah. Um, and uh, bit by bit over the years, it's got more and more um, bearable. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I would go as far as to say, I absolutely love it, nice. um, but but it has, and it still makes me nervous. Uh, and I think you know that's right; it should. Um, but but what I guess my journey around that went from can I get through it to now I actually care. Am I giving the people you know who are there listening to me to you know talk something of value mm. at the start? What they needed was the last thought in my head. I was just thinking, I just need to get through this. Um, so that's kind of evolved. Yeah. Okay. Really, really interesting. Thank you for that. Next question for you is, what are you proudest of? <sighs> what am I proudest of? Um, so this one wouldn't be work-related. So right. this is my my stepdaughter, Charlotte, got sick uh, with uh, meningococcal septicemia when she was 14. Wow. So she is a triple amputee as wow. a result. Uh, and has had one kidney transplant already and is waiting on another. Wow. So what I would say I'm proudest of is is how she just fucking shows up. Do you know what I mean? She just keeps on going. I think plenty of people would have said, fuck this, um, long time ago. So, yeah, Charlotte. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, when you, when you even meet someone like that, let alone, you know, spend as much time... Um, with her as I'm sure you do you know it's just so inspirational right when you see people being able to unlock a mindset despite all of those things like genuinely it's the most incredible interactions yeah, you have absolutely crazy and she, you know Charlotte like genuinely is interested cares about other people I have to say I think you know I would probably be a little more interested purely in myself mm. uh, but uh, no she's uh, she's incredible wow amazing okay is there anything you wish you did differently <clears throat> I I think I can't say yes to that because it's made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is, you know, what crossed my mind is, did I, you know, should I have stopped stopped the drinking earlier? It wasn't my time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it was my time to absolutely kick the arse out of it uh, and then knock it on the head. My personality is not... Uh, moderate and it's never going to be um, and I'm I'm fine with that I accept that um, so no I don't think I would have changed anything great love that it's a great answer okay in your mind what does it take to be successful hard fucking work 
Um, it, it is it's hard work. Um, so, and, and hard work comes in lots of different ways. You know, it's hard work mentally. It's actually putting a proper shift in. It's not appearing for an hour and thinking you put a fucking shift in. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard work. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I think that that is the, the key to success, really. Um, I think uh, for me personally, consistency is part of my story. I like to think I'm a free spirit. Mm-hmm. But the reality is if I don't have, you know, consistency and a decent structure, shit goes like mental quite quickly. Um, but I've, I've learned that over the years. But yeah, for me, it's it's hard work. So for any founder listening to this who's setting out, and, and it's, it's a really interesting one because I think uh, entrepreneur, founder, these are things which were not necessarily cool 10 years ago and now everyone wants to do it. Yep. Um, and I think it's the responsibility of people who have been there, done that, such as ourselves, to educate you know new generation coming through on, on what the realities of that, that is. So when you say hard work, what, is, what does that look like? And, and for you know, a young founder now thinking <coughs> about setting up a business who needs to know the, rea- the reality of what that means? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it is, um, it is a lot of actual working hours and days and months. So um, if things came really easily, I don't think any of us would respect them at all. Mm. Um, and... I think that, um, you know, if, if you are building a business, you need to strap in for the fact that you're not going to be buying a fucking Ferrari in half an hour. Um, you're not going to be, you know, wanking around in a private jet. Um, it, it, it may happen at some point, but it's years down the road. And none of this stuff is instant. Um, uh, you know, I had a good conversation with my middle brother. All of us are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, as I... Um, thought about building different and he said you can put a massive day rate as an interim doing turnaround don't do, do, don't do it why do it it's a massive fucking drainer um and you know it's a huge amount of work and and there's an easier way to make the money mm. um but we're all competitive um and i was definitely up for for doing it again but but i think you know and, and you know connor's 18 years into his company uh, he has more staying power than me, obviously. Um, but <coughs> the the reality is it's a lot of seriously hard work. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, half tempted to talk about how I see the kind of younger generation expecting things to happen a bit faster. Yeah. But I don't know whether that was the same, you know, when I was growing mm. up. I wasn't the most patient um, and I'm still not. So I don't think it's necessarily that. But I do think that as a... Um, as a collective, we are we all expect everything instantaneously, and I know I do. You know, if I'm ordering something on Amazon, yeah, why the fuck isn't it here three hours later? So you know, you imagine you're an entrepreneur and you think success is going to land at that speed, and mm. I'm going to have X amount of followers, and I'm going to launch a new product, and it's going to be flying off the shelves. Um, this stuff takes time and yeah. a lot of hard work. One of my favorite sayings is it takes 10 years to blow up overnight. It's a great phrase and never a truer set of words. Yeah, you know, it's it's all the hard work that goes in yeah. for years, which people assume didn't happen. And the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, but, but it's a really, really interesting point because you're right, the... We are so impatient now because the level of convenience that we have to have anything... Is epic. It's just epic and it's yep. amazing, but you're right. It's like 
you know, I remember if I wanted to get something done when I was 17, you know, it would take you four or five hours. You got to go here, you got to do this, yeah. you got to do that. Like that was just the reality of getting things done. Yeah. I mean, me at 17, I 17, I would have got my first mobile phone. It was a proper unit with yeah. an aerial that was about eight foot tall. Um, but, you know, we, we actually legitimately were down the phone box, phoning mates going, we'll meet you down here. I mean, it, you know, that it, everything was slower. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, it's amazing to see how quickly we adapt to the pace and it's great, but how quickly we forget that, you know, how quickly we would fall apart without that yep. now, even though we did it for hundreds and hundreds of years, before, but we would fall apart without that convenience right now. Yep. Uh, but you're right. I think it will lead to um, a lot of disappointment for a lot of people who don't realize that actually when it comes to entrepreneurialism, you're not going to get that that convenience. You're not going to get that instant gratification there. No, and my, my worry with getting it that fast is that you won't respect it. Mm. I think that's why it's hard. Mm. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's that trade-off. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my last question for you is, 15-year-old Rachel walks in the room right now. What are you going to sell her? Oh, God. <laughs> um, this is the hardest question. So I save it for the end. I am going to tell her that it's going to be all right. That's what I'm going to tell her. Uh, my instinct was, you know, I go along the line of, you know, don't cane it as much. But I wouldn't <laughs> fucking tell her that. And she'd also just laugh and flounce out the door. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be okay. Amazing. It's hard, man. It's hard being 15. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't. Uh, if somebody said you can go back, I often say 16 to 18, like the biggest laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, me and my mates, we're absolute caners. We loved it. But fuck, it's difficult, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's so difficult. And you don't understand yourself at all. But yeah. yet you think you know it all, which yeah. is even more dangerous. So, yeah, I would tell her it's going to be all right. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. And it's funny because I, um, when I think back to being sort of like 25, 26, I was so scared about turning 30 and getting older and everything else. But it's genuinely, I think... Try being 45. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I, and I'm actually really interested in this because for me, so I, I, I'm about to turn 32. And for me, like the fact that I just am so much more comfortable and knowing myself and all these things, I feel like actually when you have that approach to life, like aging is actually only a good thing. Yeah. Every year, surely it gets, you know, easier know yourself know what you're about know the values to 200 percent. but i think if you had that knowledge if i had this confidence at 20 fuck i would have been dangerous yeah so there's a reason it arrived 25 years later mm. uh it yeah i mean it, it it all has to be in in balance yeah yeah absolutely okay rachel where can people find you and what do you want to plug uh so where people can find me is um uh, so the website is thegrafter.com uh, and I am uh, at rachmurf.com on Twitter or X. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on pretty much everything. So that's where they can find me. Amazing. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Brill, thank you very much. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.